1: with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Bills
3: make me wanna
1: Dalton yeah. from the shotgun. Dalton 11 of 14 so far. And the pass is tipped and intercepted! That's what the Bills have done so well And Micah High. Down at three. three. Off the fingertips, tips it, intercepted again! Jordan Poyer
4: picked up the interception off the tip, it's the second one of the day!
0: Well, it's a gain of 12, this is the eighth play of the drive, Mixon returns in the backfield. And another throw to the middle, pass is complete in the middle. It's A.J.
1: Green, it's knocked loose, picked up by the Bills! Poyer picked it up off the turf, and he's rolling to the far side of the fields! Another turnover forced by the secondary. Ooh, welcome,
5: everybody, to another edition of the Rocktop Report Podcast. I am your host, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Geer. To my right is my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was Tom McCarthy with CBS Sports. All the King's horses and all the King's men and all the turnovers in the friggin' world could not help the Buffalo Bills on Sunday. Oh, Jesus Christ.
1: I don't really count that Lorax one because that was... A.J. Green was like in our red zone, and then I absolutely,
5: yeah, absolutely, no. What are you crazy? A turnover's a turnover. Did he put the ball on the carpet?
1: Yeah, he oh, did. there it is. All but right. then we have to go sixty yards to get points. I don't care. The other two were at midfield. You get a first down. You should at least get a goddamn even, field goal.
5: Even more reason that it was important. He was in our red zone. We stopped them from scoring. Yeah, so,
1: but we couldn't get points ourselves. We had to drive
5: six. Go 60 yards. Folks. You're high. Folks, Chris is clearly, clearly feeling some kind of way. So am I. We've got a lot to talk about tonight. We've got a very special guest. But before we get into any of this, I would like to read for all of you. I know a few weeks ago I was talking about how we never get any fan mail. So I found this. I, I apologize because somehow it got routed into my spam. Ryan Wolf, one of our followers, sent this email, and I'd like to share it with you guys. Drew and Chris. You guys mentioned in the last episode that you mostly get hate mail via email, so I thought I'd send something nicer way. I've been listening to the podcast for nearly two years and love it, but I just wanted to take a minute to share with you guys why I'm a Buffalo Bills fan, because it's a little unorthodox. Before I started playing fantasy football, I didn't care about the NFL. Where I'm from, fans are divided among Lions, Colts, and Bears, and most of them are insufferable. So when I started playing fantasy, I had an advantage by not having an allegiance to any one team. I rode a combination of Buffalo defense and LaShawn McCoy, when he was with the Eagles, to the championship game that year and lost by five points. But I loved it. I was hooked. Of course, Rex Ryan took over as the Bills' head coach, and McCoy was traded to Buffalo sometime after that. But I began to pay attention to McCoy as a player on the field, not just a member of my fantasy team. Highlights led to press conferences, which led to me watching Rex Ryan. I loved his bravado, his demeanor, and his often hilarious comments and interviews that are usually stuffy and boring. Say what you want about him as a coach, but the guy was hilarious as a personality. So I decided to become a Buffalo Bills fan.
1: Big mistake.
5: (laughs) After declaring myself a Bills fan, I started to listen to your podcast in The John Murphy Show and started to read up on Bills history. A kind of cultural diffusion happened to me as I got to know the players, current and former, the long playoff drought, what the rock pile was, and the lore that surrounds Jim Kelly and the guys from the Super Bowl teams. I also learned from my best friend, a diehard Pats fan, that the Bills share a division with the Patriots. Much to his dismay, I was delighted to find out that the Bills and Patriots were rivals because, you know, fuck the Patriots. But you guys taught me what the city of Buffalo and what being a Bills fan is all about. I'm talking about the intangibles. Getting drunk on a Tuesday. (laughs) The small-town atmosphere of such a big city, the blue-collar attitude of the people there, and voraciousness with which they seem to care about the Bills. I can identify with all these things, despite never having been to Buffalo or to a Bills game. So I guess what I'm ultimately trying to say is that your podcast is a big part of the reason I'm a Bills fan and will continue to be
1: one. I am so sorry. (laughs) I am Ah, so I I (laughs) am so sorry.
5: Keep up the good work and go, Bills. Thanks for your time, Ryan Wolf. Ryan, I want to tell you thank you for being a fan of the podcast, and you don't know what it means to me because I'll tell you, there's days. Okay. This isn't all. We may make it sound like we're having a lot of fun over here. It's not all sunshine and flowers, my friend. As you're as you're finding out if you're watching (laughs) it. if you've been watching
1: Bills football for at least the last season and a half. Or do you just listen to, like, pre-production meetings where we just yell at each other about (laughs) NCAA quarterbacks and the Bills draft plan? Oh,
5: but I'll tell you this, guys. You don't know what it means to me just knowing that you guys take time out of every one of you, every one of the people out there who download our podcast and take time out of their day to listen to what I have to say. It means a lot to me because this team is my passion. It really is. I. It's a sickness. I. I can't stop. You'd think after years, after having a childhood that was just marred with Bill's tragedy, and then becoming a teenager and growing into a man and just having all of these things continually, just re- re- you know, my whole world revolves around this team that can't ever seem to get out of its own way. You would think that that would leave me bitter and jaded, and you know, it has. It's turned off a lot of people.
1: Yeah, I like, yes, it has. But I'll tell it you. Just you e- if you go to our Twitter at Rock Powerport and see what I put the videos, you are like you're a raving psycho,
5: yeah, but guess what? Once I have a chance to decompress, I come back to Earth and I realize how much I love this football team, and to know that I can share that with other people out there, that means the world to me, so Ryan, thank you very much for your email, guys. You guys, anyone else out there have anything they want to say? Good, bad, otherwise? At Rockpile Report. It's Rockpile Report 716 at gmail.com. And now, folks, we're going to move on, get into the meat and potatoes of tonight's podcast. And we have a very special guest joining us tonight
4: Nate Geary. It's because North Collins was, you know. Barely a school Host of Breakfast with the Bills You're in big trouble though, pal I eat pieces of shit like you for breakfast On
1: WGR Sports Radio 550 You eat pieces
3: of shit for breakfast?
4: No <laughs> <laughs> Nate! Nate Gary, ladies and gentlemen from WGR 550 How are you doing tonight? Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, I'm a little under the weather, a little sick. I've got the uh, i got the old cold right now, but uh, I'm I'm surviving. I'm alive.
5: Now, folks, Nate was going to join us here in studio tonight, but he's sick. But like a trooper, he's joining us via the the, the wonders of the internet. Thank, Nate, That's thanks
4: right. for being under the weather and still coming through for us. Hey, man. Uh, anything to dissect a. Um, a masterpiece like last week's game, I uh, I'll go out of my way. <laughs> all right, so first and foremost, I gotta ask you. Now you
5: you've been busy. You have your fingers in so many different pies. I can't even I can't even keep track of them all. So you I know you're involved with breakfast with the Bills. You're also now hosting the post game show, the real deal overtime show with friend of the show and guy you were talking smack to in your intro, fellow North Collins or
4: Ryan Gates. How has that been going this season? Well, it's been great. Um, you know, he's uh, me. Me and him have a nice. Uh, it, we, we have a nice combination because we hardly ever agree on, um, on on a lot of things. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we agree, but uh, we have very uh, different stances on uh, on a lot of things. And uh, you know, he keeps me going. He's uh, he's like a fine wine.
5: Oh no, I I, I listen to it. I, I think. <laughs> Here's essentially what happens. So my process is that I don't listen to WGR Sunday, Monday, or Tuesday, except what I, because I just can't. I mean, I, I want to do my show. I don't want my opinions, you know, jaundiced by you know what you guys think. I don't want your opinions to somehow influence my own. But at the same time, nothing makes me happier than pouring through the just kind of skimming through to find the callers. And I will tell you, it's gold. It is absolute mm. gold. And and then you also have the Talking Tanked podcast. Now I know that you started that this year. How is that going
0: for you guys?
4: Well, I'll tell you what. It's uh, we we have a couple of future dates set up. Unfortunately, it's you know it's been tough once the season started. Obviously, you know I've got uh, my responsibilities with Lockdown Bills in Cover One, and um, obviously I'm I'm working Saturdays and Sundays at GR, and then I got my full time job, and I also do high school football. So. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot going on, so uh, unfortunately we haven't been able to come up with much now, but we've got a couple of, uh, of cool bars, uh, Resurgence Brewing Company, um, that we're going to be doing a live episode from in the coming weeks, so uh, definitely hang out for that. But yeah, I mean, you know, my Lockdown Bill stuff, uh, I, you know, I think right now we're, um, it, we're at peak form right now, you know, going into the bye week mm-hmm. um, I, I could tell you, I think we all need a bye week uh, I think the fan base needs a bye week I think the media needs a bye week. I think we all sort of need a bye week because the bills did just just did too much to us in four <laughs> weeks, five weeks about just, you know, bringing us on this this really interesting ride of, you know, what are we? It's like it's sort of like a teenage girl and she's finding out that she's like sort of good looking, but then the next day she's like, "Oh my god, I'm ugly. I'm so ugly. I'm never going to find a boyfriend."
3: <laughs> and then
4: uh, the next day they're like, "Oh my god, like None of these boys could even touch me. Like, that's literally how the Bills fan base reacts on a day-to-day basis. It's more like an hour-to-hour, minute-to-minute mood change depending on if Tyrod Taylor can hit an out route or not. Oh, my
5: God. You hit the nail on the head. Now, folks, Nate Geary and Eric Turner from CoverOne.net have joined together. to. They are now the Lockdown Bills podcast and the Lockdown Podcast Network. You're going to have to go check their shows out. They're a lot of fun. I mean, it, it's it's good it's good to listen to, just to learn from both of these guys. But what we're going to do is we're going to jump right into, as we do every week, we're going to get into the meat and potatoes of the show, starting with the Bills News Update. You hit the nail on the head. The Bills have been up. They've been down. But despite it all, we are still on top of the AFC East. Okay? Okay. As of today, we are still in first place in the AFC East. Now, that's got to count for something. Five weeks in, who actually raised your hand if you thought the Bills would be in this position this far into the season? Put your hands down you're a damn liar. You are a damn liar. <laughs> now, Nate, I mean, what do you make of all this? I mean, you kind of said that they've been up, they've been down, they've showed us some good, mm-hmm. they've showed us some bad. I mean, there's there, there's a lot here to kind of try to parse through. So I guess I want to break it up into two categories. First and foremost, reasons for concern. You know, if you're a fan who's kind of on the bandwagon and you're looking at this and you're saying, oh, we're going to be a playoff team this year, even though this is what should be a rebuilding year. What are some of the things that you see as causes
4: for concern? Well, it's the injuries. Um, the the, the you know, the one thing that I think if if you could find a way for this Bills team after the trade to Sammy Watkins and Ron Darby, if you were a fan that still were were sort of finding ways to get this team to five hundred, maybe nine wins, ten wins, um, you did it because you, you know, were gonna get through this entire season without any major injuries to key contributors. The problem right now for me is that you're talking about the top two passing targets in this offense are now at least out for long-term injuries, potentially Charles Clay the entire season. And Charles Clay, up to this point, was pound for pound the team's offensive MVP. Um, I mean, he's been only, their only deep threat, which is saying something as a tight end in the league, that you're the best deep threat for a team. Um, he was maybe the most consistent player underneath, and he was Tyrod's favorite target. And he was on pace for a career year. He had been up at, at one point, to going back to last season, had touchdowns in seven of eight games and was one of the mainstays in Daily Fantasy lineups. I mean, I, the, the guy was a monster, and now the the offense is going to have to try to piece together things, uh, whether it's Nick O'Leary and, and, and Logan Thomas. People that wanted to see Logan Thomas, me, are going to get a big dose of him over the next six, ten weeks. I mean, it, it's going to be a difficult situation, and, and that to me is the biggest concern is, is just the depth of this team was – um, was always the biggest question mark for me, and it's going to be tested now. And and listen, though, that team that they played last week in in, in, in Cincinnati doesn't get enough credit for being a good football team. I, I, I think uh, it was Steve Tasker today on the John Murphy show that said they're going to win that division, and I wholeheartedly agree with that. That team mm-hmm. is going to win the AFC North, and that's not a team you're going to have to worry about in the in the wild card, in my opinion, because they're going to win the AFC North. So that's a, that is – and the other point was, too, is they just played – Three, I'm sorry, was it their first four games? That's right. They're four of their last five games, they play defenses that are inside the top eight in yards allowed. For the next five, they don't play a team under the 27. So that should say Well, that's
5: well. And I was going to say, that moves... I mean, I got a couple things to add here. So, essentially, you hit the nail on the head as far as I'm concerned. The biggest thing that I've seen for concern is that the reason nobody liked the Bills coming into this season, it wasn't that we didn't have some quality starters on this team. It was because... The, People looked at our roster and said they have no depth. Okay. That is what being a bad drafting football team for 17 years gets you. Okay? We have drafted poorly for the entire drought, and now we are re- we saw that for the first four weeks, we were one of the healthiest teams in football. The second injury struck, you saw the productivity come down. I mean, you're talking about your number you know, a number one wide receiver goes down. Not even a number one, because I guess he didn't really lead in targets. He wasn't doing anything special. Talent-wise, Jordan Matthews was probably the most talented wide receiver on the roster. Charles Clay was probably the most talented tight end on the roster. You lost them, and you saw this offense just going. our passing game just went to free fall. That's a problem, but that's also a byproduct of how poorly we've drafted. To me, I think that's correctable. I do. Which leads me to why I'm optimistic, and you just said it. You look at where we've been, the teams that we've already faced, we faced one of the top-scoring offenses in football in the Falcons. Okay? And we came out the other side of it with a victory. So our defense has proven that when they're healthy and when they're ready to go, they can hold high-scoring teams to reasonable margins. At the same time, the next five games come against teams without winning record. One of the next five has a winning record. None of them are in the top 20 for defense. And three of our next five games are home games. And somewhere in there, we are going to get these injured players back. I guess that's, that's, that's the other thing that I'm looking at, is that none of these injuries are, are I shouldn't say career, but season ending. You know what I mean? It, we, we, it may take six weeks to see Charles Clay, but Jordan Matthews is supposed to be back within a month. Ramon Humber should be back within a month. These are positive things for the depth of this, this roster. So for everyone who thinks they're playing Chicken Little right now, thinking the sky's falling, you can if you want to, but I'm, I'm not subscribing to that theory. That being said, let's talk about the Charles Clay injury. So Chris and I were watching the game with Dr. Kyle Trimble, friend of the show. He comes on occasionally. You know, He's got a blog where he talks about just different football injuries. As soon as the hit on Charles happened, Everyone flipped out. I mean, I, I think I may have thrown what was left in my beer, which is kind of shitty because it's in my own house. So anytime I spill a beer, I have to clean it. Well, you did kick a bar stool. I kicked a bar stool. I threw a couple beers. I mean, they, Sunday got wild. Now, everyone who saw that hit knew that it was a knee injury. But after we watched the replay, we rewound it, and we watched it a couple times. Kyle just proclaimed that from the angle of the hit, he because Chris goes, oh, that's it. That's his ACL. He's done for the year. And Trimble walked us through the process of diagnosing the injury and said, you know what, this is an MCL injury. It doesn't look like an ACL from the angle and the way he buckled. Well, it looks like he was correct. You know, Clay had a men- meniscus tear, required surgery, and an MCL sprain. It's going to keep him silent for a while. But Nate, how long? I mean, what are you hearing? I mean, is, has there been any talk of a real timeline on this?
4: Not really. And, um, you know, one of the things I worry about with the injury is because there are two separate facets to the injury, um, Mm -hmm. the the torn meniscus, and I don't really have anything in front of me based on, I want to say that the majority of meniscus tears that are repaired with surgery typically are back on the playing field between six and nine weeks um, and I'm trying to think of a few guys. I, I think one guy that comes to mind is Brandon Marshall two years ago. And maybe it was, was it Sam Bradford? Um, but, and there was a tight end too that did recently. But no, this is an injury. I think, you know, the meniscus is, is it's not the ACL. It's not the MCL. It's not one of those injuries where um, he gets the repair and you're like, well, is he ever going to be the same player again? I, that's, it's, it doesn't have those sort of long-term ramifications, but the, the MCLs are totally, it's a total variable. Um, that could be anywhere from a three to ten week injury, depending on how it responds. So um, it's a little concerning to me. I, I think it's going to be a lot like a Sammy Watkins situation, uh, where you lose him and you're probably going to lose him until about week 12, week 13 um by then all you can do is hope that you're still in the running and and i think based on the schedule um based on what we just talked about with the defenses they're going to be going up against and and based on the fact that um you know i I, I think that still the offense is starting to get back to some of their traditional power runs um you know counters and, and and pulls from richie i think that they're starting to incorporate some of the old scheme to try to get this running game going again and i think that's a real indicator that you know right now they simply just don't have the personnel to run the kind of offense that rick dennison came in here picturing he would get to run and um you know eric and i talked about this yesterday you know they've completely scrapped the three-step game it's gone from the playbook it's out of here mm-hmm. there are no more three-step drops Tyler, tyrod gets the ball out and the people that are clamoring for this too and, and this is just a quick side note with the nate peterman thing is that's nate peterman's bread and butter three-step get the ball out quick However, all the other facets of the game, the rollouts, the escapability, the ability to get, get away from free rushers, the ability to make a dime throw 50 yards down the field to Charles Clay against the Falcons on the run goes out the window, and all you get is that short three-step game. So, so people that watch that Atlanta game, imagine the offense you would have seen if Nathan Peterman was out there only running, explicitly running three-step drops, slants, short outs, deep, you know, short ins uh that's the offense that people are clamoring for and it's and it's it's just mind-blowing to me that people are calling for something that they really don't have an understanding of like what it is they're talking about
3: well
5: no that has to be one of the most frustrating frustrating aspects of what you do which we're going to get to in a little bit but uh honestly i agree i think that uh, i mean i look at it right now they're shorthanded and you saw it you saw it happen on sunday as soon as the injury occurred which brings us to our recap of what happened on Sunday. The Buffalo Bills fell to the Bengals on the road 16-20. to 20. Now, I'm going to give you our stats of the game, but before I do that, I want to talk about tonight's Beer of the Week. Chris has just handed me a bottle of
1: Hamburg Brewing Company's Irish Red. They came down to, uh, to, it work, is delicious. to work on uh, Monday because we uh, recalibrated their piercing device, <clears throat> and the guy brought... A case of Irish Red, so the eight of us had to split 24 beers.
5: Well, I'll tell you, now, I'm an Irish Red kind of guy. I'm a fan of Killian's, Me even too. though it's kind of a cheaper beer. You know, I, I like Smithwick's Irish Red, so this will be interesting. It'll be, it'll be nice to taste it, see how it goes. I want to say I've had it before, but I may have also had a couple dozen beers by that point, so I don't really remember.
1: Drink it in. Yeah.
5: Ooh, it's malty, but it's sweet. I kind of like it. Mm. It's got a sweet finish, but a nice maltiness to it. This is a good beer. Chris, this might be the best beer you've handed me
1: so far this season. So over the uh, uh, Summer of Love by Big oh, Way over the Summer of Love. This
5: beer is fantastic.
1: So bringing you the
5: stats of the game from the Rock Bowl Report. First and foremost, Tyrod Taylor, 20 of 37, 166 yards, one touchdown and one pick on a possible game-winning drive. Buffalo's offensive line. Six sacks allowed, 82 yards rushing, zero rushing touchdowns. A.J. Green, 13 targets, seven catches, 189 yards and a touchdown. Buffalo safeties, five tackles, two picks, one fumble recovery. Colton Schmidt, seven punts for 315 yards. Now, that last statistic, if that makes you laugh or it makes you question why I brought it up, if you have a punter who's punting seven times for 315 yards, you can probably assume that your day on offense went to shit pretty quickly. And that's exactly what we saw happen on Sunday. Now, the Buffalo Bills offense was a perfect storm of terrible things. You think back to what we were through our three wins this season. The Bills have proven that they can mix their play calling well and execute long passing plays that free up rushing lanes for the ground game to be effective. In our two losses, our passing game was non-existent, led to a severe lack of real estate for anybody to come out of the backfield and gain positive yardage. On Sunday, there, I, I don't feel like there's any one person who you can blame the poor performance of the offense on. I think it's a culmination of them and it starts with a point Nate touched on earlier. The Bengals underrated defense. Now we talked in our podcast last week about the fact that the Bengals defense, they've got some players. They're a veteran group from top to bottom. They've got some young players who have had a couple seasons in the NFL.
1: Players you may not, you might not know, but should. Carl Lawson. Carl Lawson had a sack.
5: Had a sack. He was a big impact in that game. Vontez perfect returned and gave them a big boost. I mean, Nate, and he didn't even kill anyone.
1: <laughs>
5: Nate, tell me that you agree with that point. I mean, the Bengals defense, even when they were, even when they hadn't won a game or hadn't scored an offensive touchdown, they were still competitive in those football games.
4: I mean, they almost beat. They were a missed field goal away from from beating Green Bay in Green Bay in regulations. So um, take what you will from that. But uh, I, I spoke with Joe Goodberry, who's the uh, on the Bengals wire over at USA Today. And uh, I, I did that last week on Saturday. And, and when we spoke, he said, um, the one thing the Bengals really wanted to do and what they've been trying to do is and what they're very comfortable doing is playing in nickel or dime sets because they have four first round picks at the cornerback position. So what happened this week is the Bills forced them to play a lot of base defense looks based on the fact they didn't run a ton of five wide, and when they did, they still played mostly cover three. So what they did when Adam Jones went down and when Denard both went down, their top two corners, they just ushered in two more first-round picks at the (laughs) cornerback position and continued on shutting down the Bills' offense just like you know, they were the first half, but the first half, I thought that they moved the ball well. I thought that they did what they do, which is take up time, chew clock, get 18, 19, 20 play drives, and hope that you can have enough firepower to get in the end zone. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I thought that on that Tate touchdown specifically, um, it was a really gutsy play call. They were basically, and, and Eric was talking about to me about this earlier, is they basically ran four verticals based on two plays before they ran the same look and handed it off to shady and in that look they showed cover three so the bills came back with that look and they knew they were going to have that opening so those are the sort of things that you like to see from your coaches he's making adjustments based on you know plays that he ran and looks that the defense are giving him but no that that Bengals defense was the real deal and uh you mentioned carl lawson kevin minter uh, a really nice linebacker for that team um, and, you know, he, I thought he played a great game. I, I really thought that Geno Atkins just ate up the interior of that Bills offensive line. And he is an all-pro. He's, I think, in my opinion, a future Hall of Fame player. That's how good I think that Geno Atkins is. Geno and Atkins just doesn't so, get enough— doesn't Atkins not get enough
2: respect.
5: No, he doesn't. I, I mean, you, like I said, people who watch primetime football, if that's all they watch, they don't watch all the games, they don't know that— I mean, they, they probably all saw him bench-press Deshaun Watson off of his feet. And throw him like a rag doll. What they don't understand about him is that he's not only a pass rusher, but he's also a space eater, if that's what they need him to do. He can occupy two blockers and still sometimes win his matchup, which, in all honesty, is something that we don't get out of Marcel Darius, even though we look at him as probably the
1: most talented member of our interior defensive line. People aren't going to know about him because he plays in Cincinnati, and Cincinnati's basically in Kentucky. <laughs>
5: All I know is that their That's defense such a great point, Chris. Their defense is solid. And we we ran into a brick wall. You know, everyone thought that going up against the Broncos defense was going to be tough. That Cincinnati defense is stacked. And when when with Vontez Burfict, I didn't know how he was going to play in his first game back, he <laughs> hasn't missed a step. Not a single one. He led the team in tackles with 10. The fact is that contributed to a lot of our problems. The Charles Clay injury is another aspect. I mean, we just talked about it, but last week I told everyone not to panic because of the Matthews injury because even though he's a talented player, he's not the focal point of our passing attack. And then, like a dick, I apparently didn't knock on wood (laughs) enough times as I should have because he immediately went down in the beginning of the game. When you lose your number one pass catcher in the middle of a game is what happened – Now, look at what happened to the Falcons last week against the Bills. When you lose Julio Jones in the middle of a game, not before the game, but in the middle of it, you're essentially calling on your offensive coordinator to now come up with a fresh plan of attack on the fly, which a lot of coordinators who don't have an elite quarterback to rest on, they have a hard time with. You know? Which again brings me to another one of the reasons why I think we struggled, which was Tyrod Taylor regressing back to the mean. For the last two weeks, Tyrod Taylor has been great. You know, Pro Football Focus has blown him up. They've, you know, he's been getting a lot of props from other media outlets. Everyone looks and they say, oh, look at Tyrod Taylor being decisive, showing vision, using the middle of the field. This week, you guys, you know, Eric Turner over at Cover One, you guys go on Twitter and look at either the Lock, Lockdown Bills podcast, you know, you look at their Twitter handle, or you go to Cover One and you look at their Twitter feed. You're going to find clips, little GIFs of videos where Tyrod Taylor had guys wide open running down the field and just couldn't see him, And instead he panicked and threw the ball away or tried to tuck and run. I, I mean, I, I think one of the most damning things he did on Sunday, which I flipped out about... In the moment was that I watched, you know, he was taking pressure, and everyone's like, "Oh, our offensive line is trash." But you watched Tyrod Taylor roll out, and in some occasions, he was rolling out directly into oncoming pressure. I mean, Nate, tell me you saw that.
4: Yeah, it's this this whole thing is sort of um, it, it's difficult to digest completely, um, based on the fact that I have yet to go back and fully, you know, go through the game and take notes like I typically do. Mm -hmm. Um, And the one thing I'll say is it's very, very difficult um, in the middle of a game knowing what you know about what has happened over the rest of the course, especially that last drive, for instance. Okay, Tyrod had been beaten and battered all game long. He had been basically running for his life. And, you know, I'll, I'll give Deion Dawkins played admirably. He, he had some plays where the guy, he, he's given everything he's got. He's just young and inexperienced, and he's struggled against a very good pass rush. On the other side, Jordan Mills is just, I, I, I don't know, I, I, and I questioned the Dukas move a lot, especially because they went back, to running power and that was one of the things that Eric talked about that didn't make that made the most sense about this or didn't make any sense about it Is that they went back to what Miller's good at and that's being in the power game and not the zone game So why would you go with Dukas? It just, it just didn't make sense because you know what you have at Dukas And it, it, you know, listen man, this passing offense, we knew even with Matthews and Clay that it was a work in progress but Tyrod Taylor's on pace for the exact same numbers that he had in his first year and then again in his second year where he had three less touchdowns and two less interceptions. The guy is a 20 and 6 or 20 and 7 and 31 or 3200 yards. He is a top 20 quarterback and he is he will frustrate people with consistency and that is always going to be the problem. But just it, that is what the league is like okay, the okay, guys okay. at his level in the in the 20 to 25 range those guys are oftentimes replaceable. However, teams are hesitant to replace them because most times it's difficult to get a guy that's even close to top 25.
5: Now, here's what I'll say, though. You're right. It is difficult. So what I put that on is the offensive coordinator. Okay? Dennison simply, I mean, he called a lot of great plays. You saw some wide-open receivers, and yet Tyrod can't hit them. He's frustrated. He's scrambling. He's just trying to make completions wherever he can get them. He's rattled. Okay. That's on the offensive coordinator to tailor the attack to his quarterback's strengths. Okay.
4: I'm sorry. Well, it's one thing though that to do that if you have a running attack like they—that's they, oh, the biggest issue here. Okay, is, uh, here's is the run- just no running game running with game. him. We know. Listen, Drew. Like the one thing we know about Taylor is we know the recipe for how he can be successful. It's you have a good defense, which the, he hasn't had the first two years, and a number one or number two running attack. He mm-hmm. can be effective and take this team to the playoffs with those two things working. The Bills just, in his tenure, have not gotten everything to work at once.
5: But now they, Well, no, they haven't. And here's my problem. When I watch what Rick Dennison did, and that's why he's my fourth just fourth element to what was the shitstorm that became our offense on Sunday.
1: Nate, Drew uh, actually called for Dennison to be fired uh, during the Carolina game and then again during the Denver game. <laughs> I, have a,
5: I have a bone to pick with Dennison. Me and him are not friends. I needed that context, Chris. I needed that context. Uh, essentially, here's what happens. I see that this zone-rushing attack, it isn't working. And more and more and more, you, you, like you said, we're starting to see elements of the old, the pin-and-pull running attack and the you know the power-running game. Well, guess what? I'm, I'm still not seeing enough of it, and I don't know why we've had uh, five weeks into the season we're still having this conversation. You inherited an offense that fit a scheme that isn't yours. You can either try to fit a square peg in a round hole the same way Rex Ryan did with our defense last year, or you can be a good coach or a good coordinator and you can try to tailor your scheme to the system as it stands, you know, to, to, to your game plan. You know, Make that happen. So when I watch this, and here's what I see. I see 19 rushing attempts for LaShawn McCoy. He tried to run the ball four times off left tackle behind Deion Dawkins and got one yard out of all four of those attempts for his efforts. When you watch the tape, those play calls were expecting they were expecting Dawkins, who is a rookie starting only his second game, to take on a combination of defensive end Michael Johnson, who is a veteran in the NFL, and linebacker Vontes Burfict in order to try to create a running lane. The result is that he ended the day as pro football focus's lowest graded player on the field at 42.4. And his run-blocking grade was 38.2. But last week, Dawkins had a, an elite run-blocking grade of 92.0 against Atlanta. Beasley was out. It doesn't, Oh well, no, but that's my point. What that says to me is that instead of game planning based on the talent on the opposite side of the ball, Dennison took what worked last week against inferior talent, and when it didn't work this week, he just kept fucking running it instead of adjusting to it.
4: I agree with some of it. I, you know, I I do think that they've made a concerted effort. I think Eric charted four outside zone, traditional zone running scheme plays. Were called the rest were either counter, tray, uh, power, or pull. So, they are realizing to an extent that the just the personnel they have, healthy can't simply can't run it and And I think, in an ideal in an ideal world, you want Cordy Glenn at left tackle, and you want Deion Dawkins at right. I, I think that's your perfect world. And right now, they don't have that. And the one thing I'll say in defensive Dennison is, you know, he is basically calling this offense with with two hands tied behind his back, knowing that he has to run, but he's also coming to the realization that he has to run and and a lot of times in eight and nine man boxes. and that's difficult to block if you have a good offensive line. It's difficult to block if you have an extra blocker. It's good to block if you have three tight ends in the game, but like it's very difficult to be a successful running team when you're going up those up against those sort of fronts. And I mean, you also have to take into account the the, the quality of run defense that you went up against in the past few weeks. That that is why this run offense has struggled so much. If there's a gripe for me. It's that they've really moved away from the read option concept, any run-pass options. Uh, I, I just see what Andy Reid is doing in Kansas City uh, with, with Alex Smith and essentially resurrecting his career. And to me, it's because of the, the implementation or, in, in my eyes, a complete transformation of Andy Reid where he's become a model of the temper you know the the modern contemporary mm-hmm. NFL offense like he's the pinnacle of that now which is crazy because he's been around for so long those people and what you're saying about Dennison that they're these old school football usually guys you can't take a, usually don't can't, adapt yeah
5: you can't teach an old dog new tricks most of the time and that's what i'm afraid of for Dennison and so i i mean yes he's going to have I, whether i like it or not he's going to have 11 more weeks to show me what he's got as a offensive coordinator but so far as Chris you gave up to, in
1: the first quarter up, of the Carolina game. <laughs> I
5: gave up on Dennison a while ago. Now, speaking of yeah. a guy who a lot of people are giving up on, Zay Jones. Another storyline that emerged from the Sunday game was that Zay Jones has continued to struggle as a wide receiver. I mean, anybody who follows us on Twitter can go check out the video Chris got of my reaction to Zay Jones's latest mind-boggling drop.
1: If Nate, key- Nate, it was it was one of those things where. You're watching football with like four or five people. And then Drew just starts yelling about this Zay Jones drop. It was the one right before the Tate touchdown. And the way he was just yelling, like I don't know if other people in the room felt it, but it just got wildly uncomfortable.
5: (laughs) People were concerned (laughs) that I was about to actually start breaking things. That's how intense I got about it. Now, I don't know how much furniture I'm actually going to have left in my basement by the end of the season if they continue to start and try to feature Zay Jones in the offense. But for what it's worth, I'll say this. Tyrod Taylor has struggled throwing quality passes to the kid. I mean, it's not exactly his fault. But there are many uh, there's many throws that come his way that he... I'm sorry, but if you're an NFL wide receiver, you have to catch that. And right now, he's got a case of the yips that I don't know what it's going to take to cure Now, you were a quarterback. You played collegiate football. Have you ever seen anything like this, where you know a wide receiver has talent? The kid's good. I mean, his hands are what got him drafted. I mean, I I was on the ledge when I saw that we traded up to get Zay Jones in the draft. And everyone talked me off by saying, oh, look at his hands, they're elite. That's, you know, his hands are elite. He's got this big catch radius. So far, his hands have been the problem. I mean, how do I, as a layman who, who's never played quarterback, who doesn't understand the nuances of playing wide receiver, how do I make peace with that?
4: Well, I, I haven't played with any – I mean, I've played with a couple of very good receivers in college. Um, but I, we know just simply we – in high school we ran a ton of triple option and I didn't – you know, we didn't really have that many receivers. In college it was a different story. I mean – I played with a lot of talented guys in, in, in college, but I, I've never quite seen um, someone as talented as they sort of go through this. sort of, But what they are is they are growing pains. And um, I do think that the 2013 draft, the Sammy Watkins, the Odell Beckham, that, that draft really, um, I think, placed a ton of unfair expectations on rookie wide receivers. In general, I think this rookie class was completely overdrafted. I think that Zay Jones. I think that the the Bills were forced to trade up uh, for Zay Jones due to the the landscape of the draft and what had happened, and that three wide receivers go off the board in the top ten. And simply put, they were just overdrafted. Uh, each and every no, John Ross is not a number nine. He's ninth overall best player in that draft. No, no chance. And 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 that forced a team like the Bills, who really wanted Zay Jones at their with their second round pick, to move up because wide receivers were at a premium. So, when you're talking about a guy like Zay Jones, he's just a guy that needs time. He wasn't going to be a guy in my opinion that could come in and be your number two receiver right up the bat. If That was your plan, which it wasn't in their defense then then you're in trouble. but like <laughs> it, i this team, when you came in, if this team still had Sammy Watkins and you know it's rod streeter i I mean, I don't know it maybe zay's the fourth receiver, and I think that is a far more. Uh, Appropriate role for him right now in his development. He's going from a smaller school. He's not playing from the SEC and coming to the NFL. He's used to a much slower game. He's used to a much more methodical game where he is overpowering and out, you know, running and out athleticing guys. He's not doing that right now. So no, and he never will. The disconnect is there because he just isn't used to this talent level, and that's fair. We just need to give him an opportunity to work
5: through it. I'll say this. My frustration with Zay Jones probably won't go away on game days simply because I'm that lunatic fan that can tell myself every sensible thing under the sun before the kickoff. And the moment that ball's in the air, 15 minutes on the clock in the first quarter, I don't know, I go to a different place in my head. (laughs) I'm a different person for the next three hours. But in sitting down and looking at it, the one thing I'll say that brings me peace is knowing that I drafted Demarius Thomas for fantasy football in his rookie season. Okay. Now I'm not going to try to compare Zay Jones to Demarius Thomas because that sounds like lunacy.
0: But here's what no, I will it's a good comparison. say. But, but here's it's what a good I'll say. Comparison.
5: His first two seasons, Thomas struggled to catch more than 50% of his targets and couldn't get over 600 yards. Year three, 10 touchdowns and 1400 yards because he learned how to play the game.
4: Well, he also had uh, Peyton Manning throwing to Well, well, that wasn't
5: year three. That was Jay Cutler. Year three of his career, Jay Cutler was his quarterback. Yeah. So long term, I think that Jones will be okay. But short term, the team needs to give some real thought to calling up some of the additional talent that we have at wide receiver. I I mean, I've, I've got no other answers other than you're right. Zay shouldn't be the number two guy. Because you can't trust him like that. It's the only way. When you've got someone who's going through the yips as a kicker, you don't want him as your starting kicker. Nick Folk? Nick Folk? They don't want to fire Nick Folk. But, but they also know that they cannot continue to have him keep missing field goals. So what do the Tampa Bay Buccaneers do? Well, they bring in other kickers and they see if maybe they can add one for a week just to give him a break to not make him the guy and see if that puts him in the right headspace. I think we need to do the same thing for Zay Jones because at this point, I don't want to hate, hate on the kid. He's a kid. He's learning. He's going to get there hopefully. But even if he doesn't, you can't put a mountain on the kid's shoulders as he's trying to acclimate to a game that he's not physically and mentally equipped to play right now. Oh, man, that felt good to get off my chest because I've been harboring a lot of Anger, just anger towards our passing offense. And I think I feel like I've finally gotten all out. Now, if you turn around and you look at the flip side of the ball, one of the reasons that the Buffalo Bills really did lose this football game miscues in the secondary. Pre game, Chris and I made a video talking about our keys to victory. Mine was to be certain at all times to have bracket coverage on AJ Green because he's the only member of the receiving core who's really a threat, a home run threat. And yet, even with that basic knowledge, we still found ourselves on the ass end of a vintage A.J. Green performance. He was instrumental in scoring both Bengals touchdowns. And the way it happened was beyond frustrating to me. I mean, I'm a layman. You know, I'm not you, Nate. I'm not Eric Turner who is going to scout school and knows how to break down film like the back of his hand. I can tell you that you need to double cover A.J. Green no matter where he is on the football field. But for each one of his long catches, he was singled up on the outside with a cornerback
1: who had no safety help over the top. Somebody asked McDermott post game about that, and he refused to answer. And because McDermott he doesn't <laughs> want
5: to throw his D coordinator under the bus, and he doesn't want to throw the player under the bus.
1: Well, plus he just gives basic football answers. He didn't even answer. He didn't even answer the guy's question about having bracket coverage.
5: I mean, I just, I guess that I understand why Leslie Frazier would want to do this. He'd want to clog the box, put an extra safety down near the line of scrimmage, keep them from trying to run the ball, and on passing downs, he's hoping to get Dalton holding the ball so our pass rush can get home. But you can't do that against a wide receiver like A.J. Green. Trey Jones and Sharice Wright, neither one of them are terrible cornerbacks. Trey White has been the toast of the Bills roster for the last month and a half were just victimized in the same fashion because there was no help over the top, and A.J. Green is a phenomenal, talented wide receiver. One of his catches went for 70 yards and a touch. The other one put them in striking distance so that Joe Mixon could punch it in for a touchdown. I don't blame the players for this because these are plays where I feel like, again, they were set up to fail by
4: their coordinators.
5: Nate, what do you think about that?
4: AJ Green's a really good player. Um, <laughs> I, I I think, yeah, there was certainly some questionable, and I think part of that had to do with some communication problems um, between the corner and the safety, getting over the top help. But, yeah, I mean, AJ Green's an elite talent. He's the third or fourth best receiver of the game. Uh, he's a no-question, no-brainer uh, All-Pro, so... He's going to get his, and, uh, you know, I thought that Trey did a really nice job um, bouncing back in that game. I, I thought he made a couple of really nice plays on A.J. Green. Um, I think A.J. got most of his yards. I mean, he ended up with 100 yards uh, outside of that, that long uh, touchdown catch, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, a lot of it came on that catch, and, and I think that as a whole, I thought the Bills defense really struggled um, stopping their pass game. I thought the defense really struggled to get off the field on third down. Um, I thought the defense really weren't disciplined in their zone drops. For the first time um, all season, I I thought this passing offense did maybe twice the job that Atlanta's passing offense did on this Bills defense. They they, they were more prepared. Um, They were prepared for looks. I thought their offensive line protected Andy Dalton astoundingly. I thought going into the game, that was going to be the mismatch for the Bills defense, that they were going to get to Andy Dalton like crazy. And they did. They got after him, but Listen, the, the offensive line outplayed the Bills' offensive line, and they outplayed the Bills' defensive line. I thought Marcel Darius had an okay game. I thought he, he had a bounce-back performance from a couple of bad performances in a row. But all in all, I thought the defense in a hole didn't play as well as they had been the weeks before. They still caused some turnovers, but I thought they really struggled with consistency in their drops and uh, going up against that pass offense, who I thought had one target that you shut down. You shut down A.J. Green. Thank who you. the hell else do they have?
5: Thank you! Thank you! I said that all week last week, and I said it on Sunday, and then what do you do? You try to play everyone evenly. You can't do that when someone the caliber of AJ Green is on the opposite side of the field from you. Oh, Jesus. See, I'm drinking faster now that I'm angry. Guys, I finished this uh, Hamburg Irish Red probably about five minutes ago, and I will tell you that it's a very drinkable beer. It's nice. It's got a nice malty flavor for guys who like beer, and at the same time, it's got a sweeter finish, so it's not harsh. I I could probably put down a growler of that in the first quarter of a game. That was going I've heard south. they
4: recently added more hops to it.
5: Ah, well, I didn't taste the hops, but maybe it's because it's in a bottle and not yeah, a glass. That was
4: from Super
3: Bad.
5: <laughs> <laughs> All I know is that before we get. Before we finish our wrap up though, we can't all end on just oh doom and gloom and let's talk shit about the let's the make Buffalo fun Dust. of people. Here's what I want to do. I want to point out two bright spots for me, my silver lining from the game. First and foremost, our safety play is fucking ridiculous. Anybody all who season. All anybody, season. Anybody who doesn't agree can get the hell out. Okay. Right now, who's better? I mean, tit for tat, they've been going back and forth every game this season, getting turnovers, breaking up passes, making timely tackles in the box. I mean, Nate, our safeties might be the – I'm going to call them the best safety tandem in the division right now. I'm going to call them one of the best in the entire conference. Is that fair?
4: trying to think of another one that I like more right now. I think by the end of the year – this defensive backfield, if E.J. Gaines continues his development, stays healthy. He, he's The one thing I'll say about Gaines is that he's... He
5: has an injury history. Yeah, yeah,
4: he's got injury history, but I love the way he plays. I, I, thought, I think it's a great pickup for them. The safeties, though, we need to come up with a nickname. Um, I, <laughs> I, I, I hope that... Uh, I think Poyers earned a payday in five and uh, it's, I, it's a t- what it is is it's a hats off to Brandon Bean. It's a hats off... Well, Brandon Bean wasn't here, but it's a hats off to Sean McDermott um, because he went out and this is a handpicked Sean McDermott player. Okay, mm-hmm. that's what this guy is, and he's on maybe the biggest uh, deal. Like he's he's the biggest by far. He's he's a he's you go to Walmart and you get the rollback prices, and you still find a better <laughs> deal at a swap meet, and that's what you get for the price of Jordan Poyer because he's a guy that's giving you incredible production for a guy who's making less than two million dollars. And came from Cleveland.
5: Right, well, and that was my thing. I I said at the beginning of the season, I'm like, well, what is what is Jordan Poyer? N- nobody knows because he's if Cleveland doesn't want to retain him, then how good could he possibly be? And right now, I I would need half a bottle of Frank's and maybe some enchilada sauce to get down all of the crow that I'm eating off oh. off of that.
4: Yeah, but do you do you realize like during the off how everybody was the one thing that this that fans were killing this team for No was safety. The safeties. Yeah. They're like, oh my God, they've got nothing at safety. Let's bring in Trey Boston, damn it.
5: And then look, and then look what happens. Our two guys come out, and it turns out they're ballers. Well, I'll tell you, you said it. Jordan Poyer deserves to get paid. I, I mean, I'll tell you, Micah Hyde, he's out there making a case for it too. And then the other thing that really surprised me from Sunday's game, I think probably my favorite part of the game. If I could say that there was something that I – Walked away from it with a warm, fuzzy feeling inside of my chest. Matt Milano. Okay. When Ramon Humber went down with that broken hand, I cringed because I, I just, I'm like, oh my God, we're starting a rookie. We're starting a rookie that I didn't like when we drafted. Yeah, because he didn't go to Alabama. <laughs> Humber had been leading the team in tackles and was near the tops of the team in snaps played per game. And now we're trusting a rookie to come in and just fill those shoes. I saw nothing but disaster coming for us. And instead, the kid did a great job. I mean, he did not look like a rookie. He made a pair of stops that just made my eyes pop. Okay, He's not the biggest linebacker in the world. I mean, he's a converted strong safety playing linebacker from college. And that was one of the biggest knocks on him in the draft, which is why he fell to the fifth round. All of his pre-draft literature, though, claimed that he was a tough tackler. I mean, I'm I'm looking at it right now. He's a tough tackler, uh, you know, willing, going to stick his nose into the tough areas of the field, and he showed it. On the first big tackle he made, he met Mixon at the line of scrimmage and held him for no game. On the second one, you're talking about the game is on the line in the fourth quarter. If you allow a touchdown, this game is out of reach. Late in the fourth quarter, your team's trailing. The Bengals go with a little trickery. They, they get everyone moving to the right following Mixon, and then they throw a shovel pass up the middle of the defense to Brandon LaFell, wide receiver. He's not a small guy. Brandon LaFell's a big wide receiver. Milano meets him at the line of scrimmage, wraps him around the waist, and throws him down for a one-yard game. To me, that right there, it was hard for me not to pitch a half stack. <laughs> I mean Nate, what can you say about Matt Milano?
4: Yeah, so 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 you know Matt Milano. Okay, uh it's safe to say that Drew you're really you're feeling it in your plums right now from <laughs> Matt Milano. And uh that's okay because uh I like Matt Milano too. I I I think that uh uh who was it? Was it Rob? I think I think I think Rob was was Milano's guy, right? That that's I Rob think so. Quinn from I the Bills wire was Milano, a big Matt Milano guy. Yeah, yeah, it was Quinner. Um, but I liked his play. I, I thought that he stepped up pretty nicely for the for the situation at hand. I mean, a rookie um, got a lot out of him, and, and I and I appreciated that because it's not an easy thing to go up against an offense, um, you know, that has the players. and And in my opinion, I think Joe Mixon's a nice back. I think he's going to be a nice player for that team. Um, and you mentioned that the, I remember the play specifically you're talking about. The good thing is, Drew. I think the most important thing is if you're an average fan, you didn't notice, you didn't notice him on the field. Oh, that's it. That, if you're that, a rookie, that, if you're a rookie and you aren't noticed, that is that that means you're doing everything right. And you're not making anything flashy. You're just doing your job. You're a nine to fiver. Well, I that was the
5: thing types. is, I'm over here, two fists and beers into my face, just trying to get get make peace in my head with the fact that the Bills are sucking ass and losing. And I just all of a sudden watch this kid make this tackle in a crucial situation in the game. And I'm like, oh, shit. All right. Good job, Rook. And then I rewatched the tape, and I'm like, oh, no, he made another one of those earlier in the game, and I completely missed it. Good for him. Fantastic. Again, we talked about how barren of depth on our team we are. It's nice to see a rookie step up into that role and flourish. And that's why, as we finish out this segment our hero in zero of the week, my hero has to be linebacker Matt Milano.
3: <laughs> I'm the greatest man in the world. Woo!
5: He finished as the second highest Bills player, according rated by Pro Football Focus, which is impressive for a rookie making his first start against a team like the Bengals. Because usually they're going to test you on the ground. They're going to run a lot right at you. He was solid when it when he was asked to play the run. And I think he was adequate in pass protection because he wasn't picked on. You know, like you said, no one noticed that he was a glaring weakness out there. Which I don't know, in a game where everyone is kind of walking away looking for something to grab onto, I think Matt Milano he gave me more than I could have asked for.
1: Nate, do you have a uh, hero of the game?
4: hero of the game, I liked Greg Maiden's game. A lot of people wanted to pick on him, but I thought for him, him stepping up, the practice squad, giving them, I th- should have had that pick in the end zone. That was my only gripe with him as I, as I wanted to hang out of that ball in the end zone. But I thought for what he was asked to do, he was thrust in to an outside corner position for an entire second half, and I thought he played admirably.
5: Yeah, that that he shouldn't have been outside, and he was ill-cast for that, but you're right. He did show up, and if he had corralled that, he would have been the hero of the game. That's the thing. If he had caught that, picked that off in the end zone, he'd be everyone's favorite person on earth. It's just... And then he caught that untimely penalty, but you know what? Like you said, he's a practice squad guy. He got brought up because the need at that position was dire, and we knew it. So... Kudos to him, too. And then we go to my zero of the week. Got to give it to offensive coordinator Rick Dennison. Any time that I can sit on my ass behind the bar and look at just the, the, the formation of our offense and call out what the players are going to be and who is going to struggle to maintain their blocks before the ball is snapped, if I can do that drinking seven to ten maybe 15 beers in my basement you've done a shitty job as an offensive coordinator because it's your job to manage that that is your job yes players need to execute chris but at the end of the day it's on the offensive coordinator to put his players in a position to succeed and i feel like he failed and i have to give him you know i gotta give him the thumbs down this week now nate do you agree, disagree, or is there somebody else you feel like deserves it more?
4: I got a good loser, and it's the Bengals' safety that came on that blitz and just got absolutely head-over-tea-kettled by Patrick DeMarco. <laughs> I don't know if you, do not know. you know what play I'm talking about? I know exactly
5: what you were talking about. That's the loser of the game. That
4: guy got head-over-tea-kettled, and then Patrick DeMarco just simply stepped over and then blocked another guy. Like, that was awesome. That was like Sam Gash. Sam
5: Gash, what a throwback! Sam Gash was probably the best fullback to ever play on the Bills team. Period. Well, Larry Centers was pretty damn good. Sam Gash, plus he has the name Sam Gash. Yeah, that's a good fullback name. That's a great fullback name. And so that brings us, ladies and gentlemen, to our follow-up segment to the game, which is the worst call of the week. Now, as all of you know, I don't listen to the I don't listen to the radio. Mon- Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. But what I will do is I will skim the post game for phone calls. And oh man, do the beauties come out of the woodwork. And this week, I'm so happy we have Nate on with us because our worst call of the week happens to belong to him.
0: Here comes Jason. Hello, guys. I got to call and defend Peterman. I'm sorry. And this is an outlandish statement to you guys, but if you're the one who said the. Browns are going to be better than us this year, then I have more credibility than you. But we would be, I if we had Hmm. if we had a quarterback who could throw the ball, and in preseason, you've seen this guy, right?
4: I did. Throw in the preseason, but yes, go ahead. My point is, he was throwing the ball in
0: tight windows. He was making it. A lot of the guys who didn't make
4: it. Against third steamers. What's that? Uh, Against third team defensive backs.
0: Okay, great. So that means Peterman would do even better with first stringers, then
4: wouldn't he? That doesn't make sense.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that, Nate. That does not make any sense.
0: <laughs> Chris, hit the drop. Jason, this is what you get. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. <laughs> Everyone in this room is now dumber oh, for having listened to it. For listen, yeah. I award you no points, and may, and may God, God have, have mercy on your soul. Mercy on your soul. <laughs> <laughs> now, Nate, when you
5: take callers like that, I've got to ask, what goes through your head? Like, what's going on inside of your head when someone calls in and not only condemns you for making the, the, the foolish yeah. bet that you made with us about the Cleveland the folly. We'll call
4: it a folly. <laughs> we'll
5: call it a folly. And then, but then proceeds... To make a point that actually makes no sense. What, what do you? What goes on inside? What, what's your train of thought? Just walk me through it.
4: Well, listen. I don't want to give away the secrets to tr- making me triggered. But that, <laughs> if you want to get me triggered, just insult me right off the beginning. But, but not even say, "Hey, Nate, a long-time listener, first-time caller." Instead of that, I get. Yeah, well, if, I, uh, if it was you picking the bronze and I got more credibility than you, uh, <laughs> if he could throw good against third famous, he probably does better against the first, right? Yeah. And, you know, it was one of those things where, listen, you know, it's. I, you could tell I was triggered because I was interrupting him. And I try not to interrupt people when they call, I try to let them get their whole thought out and then I will respond, respond. Re- respond. accordingly. I try yeah. because a lot of people don't like when the. Talk show hosts don't let them talk, and they just want to correct them mid sentence. But uh, he needed correcting mid sentence, so I <laughs> felt that needed to be said.
1: But for the people, and somebody that me that has worked in radio, but if people are irritated at you for stepping on callers, then those people should just get
4: their own radio show. <laughs> they should. They should. And show. well, here's the thing too: is we've been dealing with a lot of trickery lately. People calling in and saying, "Oh yeah, I'd like to talk about." how the five-step drop game is really coming along and like, ah, uh, yeah, uh, they should really play Joe Baynard more. I don't know why Joe, Joe Baynard's not playing. Why is Joe Baynard like, not out there? Or or my favorite, John from Rochester. God bless his soul. He's a sweetheart. He's an optimist. He calls in for the past three weeks saying that the secret weapon's going to be Taiwan Jones. <laughs> <laughs> that's Look, what, that's God bless what... your soul, John Rochester. I hope you're listening to this because I love you.
5: Oh Taiwan Jones, bro. Chris, can we give a cheers, a hearty cheers, to Nate Geary and all the other radio professionals who have to take abuse from drunken jerk offs like us? <laughs> <laughs> all right, so as we move along with the podcast, we are going into the AFC East roundup portion of the show. Now, we're going to start off with the New York Jets' 17 14 win over the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> Nate! Your team! Oh, your hand-picked team to be better than the Buffalo Bills! They, they're 0-5. They beat them 17-14 in a nail-biter. It's one of the ugliest games of the weekend. That somehow the Jets found a way to outlast the
1: veritable juggernaut that is the Cleveland Browns. That two-headed monster, Deshaun Kaiser from Notre Dame and Kevin Hogan. <laughs> Kevin Hogan from
3: Stanford.
1: Hey, shut up! I you love Kevin Hogan. You fan. loved Kevin Hogan. I had
5: a hard on for Kevin Hogan. What I'll say is this: the Jets found a way to win and increase their record to three and two in a game that I don't know. You beat a team that a lot of people think are inferior. I've talked to a lot of Jets fans, and I've discussed with them how you know, you've heard them on this show how a lot of people in the fan base wanted them to tank in hopes of landing a quarterback, and yet somehow they just beat a team who's doing a better job at that than them. And then, Nate, one of the things I want to talk to you about is it, as, it, as it pertains to the Browns and the Jets, Miles Garrett played his very first game, recorded a sack on his very first snap, recorded another, and then might as well have remained on the sidelines. He played 16 more snaps, and I mean I guess it looks like he's on some kind of a pitch count he only played 16 snaps and didn't record a tackle or quarterback pressure I mean what is the point of drafting a defensive end number one overall if you're going to make
4: him nothing more than a situational pass rusher and I mean it's just I don't know it the interception in the end zone you could say a couple is the, the turnover in the end zone I'm not, maybe I'm not thinking of the, the right interception but anyways my point is with Kaiser is they should stick with him. He's their rookie quarterback, and I think pulling him could do far more damage um, to his game than throwing interceptions will. Um, so, again, it, it's it's an unfortunate situation. I still think that they're without their two best defensive players, so I think that's big. Uh, we'll see what happens to the Browns. They're, they're definitely a, a disappointing team this year. The, <laughs> the Jets, though. I, the Jets... They've got to be disappointed. Josh McCown. You. I mean, Josh McCown's a, a nice player, and, and and he's showing that you know if he's healthy, he doesn't even need great playmakers around him because he's oh, a
5: oh, decent oh. quarterback. Oh, 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 oh. Did you just use the term "decent quarterback" and Josh McCown in the same sentence? He still doesn't have double-digit wins as a starter. He still uh-huh. doesn't have it this many years into his career
4: what oh. he's so doing right now with maybe the worst roster Ooh. he's ever had around him. Here's maybe a... <laughs> the second or third worst offensive line in the league. And, I mean, they've won three games. People said they Remember on the show, we talked about how they were going to go 0-16, and I said, no freaking way are they going 0-16. Well,
5: no, I and I remember that. And we've had some Jets. We've had Jets podcasters come on our show. You know, AFC Eastbrook's Kyle Smith. He was talking about how he was rooting for the number one pick in the draft. Well, guess what? They're too good. And that's what I told him. Your team's too talented to get there. You know, when I look at what they are, you know, there's some bright spots and
1: there's some reasons
5: for concern. For me, Austin Safarian Jenkins, that tight end they traded for, is really coming on strong as a tight end. He led it's all that
1: t- social media buzz from Joe Blewett.
5: <laughs> oh, yeah, Joe Blewett loves this guy. He, loved, he led the team in targets and receptions, and even though he doesn't generate yards after the catch because he's not that type of player, he's got three touchdowns in three games. That's big. you know. And then, well, you can say that three other wins have come against highly suspect teams, You know, the Dolphins, the Browns, the Jaguars. They still count in the wins and loss column. My concern for the Jets is what's gonna to happen to them this weekend when they play host to the New England Patriots. Right now Can they're they the win, bi- you mean? <laughs> right now they're the biggest underdog in the NFL this far into the NFL season at nine and a half points. I mean, I know that the Jets have a history of playing the Patriots close, but Jesus Christ, this is only their second game of the season against a team with a winning record. So let's talk about New England. I'm sorry, Nate, I I don't know how you feel about New England. If you have just the, the revulsion in your stomach that I do when they win.
1: I watched zero minutes of that game because it's hockey season. That's way more important to me.
5: What an idiot. Patriots fans had to wake up on Friday morning and readjust that horseshoe that they have tucked away in their asses. I swear to God, mm. it took a miracle to win that game. They took on the Buccaneers in Tampa Bay. And while they did come away with a win, it required three missed field goals by Nick Folk, multiple drops in the end zone, and a whole first half full of inaccurate throws from Jameis Winston. I mean, what, what do you even say about it? The, the, the Patriots won, but they give up 400 yards of offense and 364 yards of passing to, to Jameis Winston, who's one of the more inaccurate quarterbacks in the NFL. I mean, he didn't even complete 50% of his passes on Thursday
4: night. Yeah, he's struggling. The whole team is struggling. I I really thought that they were going to be the class of the NFC. I'm I'm pretty surprised, especially their defense. Their defense is trash. And I don't know. They they didn't have T.J. Ward, I know, but they they don't get any pass rush. I'm not scared of that team at all going into next week either. I think they're a beatable team. But for the Patriots, Drew, I mean, yeah, of course, I hate the Patriots. Uh, I mean, they – they're just, I, I like the horseshoe and the ass reference, but I think that they're, it's just simply, it's not, it's not, you know, thick enough. I think there needs to be far more than just one horseshoe up their ass. Because,
2: <laughs> no, you know what there is? There's five, because that's always, <laughs> <laughs> so, um,
4: but no, it's, listen, the Patriots are three and two, same as the Bills right now. This is typically where, um, this is ordinarily where they go on their Like eleven and one streak, you know. No,
5: and that's. And I tell you, I put that down in my notes because I'm looking over my rundown. I put that in my notes as this is the point of the season where the Patriots make a run. And I'll tell you, the one thing they have going for them going forward. I mean, we've all bashed them for having a shitty defense. They are the one of the NFL's worst defenses.
1: Their offense can mask that, but
5: they have the best offense in football right now. Okay, and they have. The easiest schedule in the NFL between now and week 17. They get the Jets away. Then they're back-to-back home against the Falcons and Chargers. Okay? They get a bye. And then they play a bunch of punching bags until the end of the season. The Raiders, with Derek Carr possibly still being out, are the
1: the
5: only challenge left (laughs) on their schedule. I mean, I don't see any reason that they can't go 2-1 and one during that stretch, no matter how shitty their defense is. And then after the bye, they have consecutive away games on the West Coast, the Broncos and Raiders. Now, those two games, if they don't lose either one of those games, then, they, yeah, you're right. This is the annual just they're going to take off and blow up the doors off everybody and no one can catch them.
1: And We're on to football. Cincinnati.
5: I mean, ultimately, uh, it's frustrating But I can see it because they have Tom Brady. I mean, the guy is just fucking incredible. As much as I hate his guts, I, on some level, can respect what he's doing. They're going into the game against the Jets on Sunday where they're heavily favored on the road. It's probably going to be a massacre. (laughs) Okay, let's just call it what it is. I'm probably going to see about 15 minutes of it, and then I'll find something less depressing on TV to watch.
4: Patriots win by six.
5: Oh, you're the calling them not first. to cover. All
4: right. Listen, their defense sucks, and Josh McCown is playing better than Jameis Winston is do you right want now, to so. put?
5: Do you want to bet me a Seagram's on it? You already got one coming.
4: How about as, two? As long as it is it you're making me crazy. Yes. There it
5: is. All right. The second Nick Geary Seagram's bet of the year. And then to, to flesh out the AFC's roundup, the Miami Dolphins. Now, hilariously enough for Miami, their win at Hard Rock Stadium on Sunday wasn't the most interesting or surprising headline of the weekend as coach Chris Forrester was embroiled in controversy shortly before resigning.
2: Powers, step into my office. Let's do some. No.
5: <laughs> as a Bills fan, I feel for the Dolphins. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that we had just a hammer-drunk offensive line coach who, who wandered down to the beach and fought a bunch of teenagers over some beach chairs and then... Murder your family! (laughs) Trust me out there, Miami Dolphins fans who are listening to this podcast, when I say that I can relate to your struggle...
1: Yeah, because challenging kids to fight and coke are on the same level. I almost feel like challenging
5: children to fight is worse than doing drugs quietly in your office. I don't know, but I... Could- uh,
2: <laughs>
4: while videotaping and yeah. saying yeah, well, vi- some and- very interesting things to his prostitute? Yeah. okay not no, Drew.
5: <laughs> okay, okay.
4: Let me preface this whole
5: Dolphins-Titans uh, conversation by saying that the CIA may want to take note of what occurred during this game. Watching Matt Castle and Jay Cutler play quarterback in the same game could be used to extract information <laughs> from anybody on a level that I'm waterboarding simply can't touch.
4: I, mean, I was going to say, you know, I do need waterboarding anymore. We'll just make them watch Matt Castle and Jay Cutler. I
5: turned that game on and everyone in the basement made me turn it off because I was like, oh, no, I want to watch this. They're like, no, this game sucks. For all you Bills fans out there screaming about Tyrod's play being shit or unacceptable or we need Peterman, let me throw some stats at you. Jay Cutler completed 44% of his passes for less than 100 yards. Matt Castle threw for less than 150 and was sacked six times. And each quarterback had at least one turnover. Matt Castle gave it up for a touchdown that ultimately decided the game. (laughs) And both offenses combined only had 366 yards of offense, which is 32 yards shy of what the Patriots' defense let Jameis Winston throw for. (laughs) I mean, what do you even say to that? I'll tell you what. I know what Chris Forrester would say to that.
1: How's about I cut us up a couple more monster rails for us young fucking bloods.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, guys. I got to rub this in. What a ridiculous Mm. scenario for the Dolphins to find themselves in. Adam Gase last year, I'm sorry, he was being crowned as, oh, no, Adam Gase changed the culture. He's going to turn this team around. We're going to be so good under Adam Gase because he doesn't take any shit. And his coaching staff is good. And he's got us running the ball and throwing the ball. And everything's gravy. And now where are they? Now where are they?
4: Listen, I thought this is America, okay? I thought, why, why is it a problem that a coach, you know, before a meeting, you he just filling up. Oh Martinis, you know some, <laughs> some nose shows before the meeting. Nothing nothing to see here. You know, no, I'm not I even mean, mad about what a, that. What a mess that situation is, man. Holy I'm, cow. I'm not even
5: mad about the offensive line coach so much as I am their abuse of their offensive weapons. I mean you talk about having Landry well, Jones, Devontae Parker, Kenny Stills, and you have a quarterback who throws ninety four yards in the game? What is that? What is it? You're not a quarterback. Jay Cutler should have stayed retired. This is pathetic. He's trolling the Dolphins. I'm almost, I'm almost wondering if the Patriots didn't pay him off to do it. I mean, that's how bad it's gotten. I mean, fans were actually chanting, we want more, calling for their backup quarterback wow. in the
4: middle of the game. That's probably the best backup quarterback chant I've ever heard. <laughs> Ultimately,
5: Miami has more questions than answers. Okay, That's it. Their defense They're is punks. incredibly stout but their offense has been able to give them no help whatsoever. They're ranked dead last in points per game in the NFL at 10.2, yards per play at 3.9, and they're last in third down percentage at 25%. Then you got to consider they just had injuries to Devontae Parker and Julius Thomas as a tight end. That was a complete bust of a trade. He's nothing. He hasn't been anything since he played for Peyton Manning which should have been a warning sign to the Dolphins not to, not to bring him in and make him a focal point of their offense. And yet they did it. So now this week, the Dolphins are going to take on the Falcons in that powerhouse offense fresh off a bye week in a matchup that if it comes down to a quarterback duel, Nate, how do you see that going?
4: Oh boy. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I don't know. I, what do you call the, the it? Dolph- I think the Dolphins are the worst team in the division, and I don't know. I, listen, man. Uh, everybody wants to to rag on Tyler Terra, but man, it's not that bad when you when you consider what you have to watch across the league. I, I'm out. I'll tell you what. I I may take a, a weekend off of football this weekend altogether because there isn't that many great matchups, and uh, I could use time away. It's like you know when you're with your spouse. How so you could just you need some man time. I need some man time away from football. I think that's well, called a divorce, Chris. Chris <laughs> I was going to say, Chris
5: can Chris can vouch for this, and and also my girlfriend Larissa, or fiance as I should call her. I, I keep forget, I can't get that down. I keep calling her my girlfriend, even though she's my fiance now. You don't have to get married. What I'll say is this. I still have a hard time acclimating to that, but she knows there is no downtime for me. Like I said, this is a sickness. It's not just like, oh, I love the game of football. I'm I'm obsessed. So taking a look now, we've talked about the division, we've talked about where the bills stand, how they did last week, what it says about their what their fortunes are going forward. First and foremost, let's take a look back at what we've seen now that we're at the bye week. I have no game to preview. Let's take a look back. Who is your most
4: impressive defensive player on the roster? Mike Hyde. It's got to be. I, no, really? I, I think he's having Defensive Player of the Year type of season
5: so far. See, now for me, I think it's defensive and Jerry Hughes. Now, before I say that, I want to preface this with another caller from the illustrious WGR 550 who makes me not want to listen to the radio.
1: Hey, guys. I just want to start off. Um, I'm a McDermott fan. And I hope we go back to last year's run game. I really do. But I called in earlier this year, and I wanted to tip people off to the fact that it was officially announced with the Watkins trade, with the Watkins trade, that we are in a Doug Whaley purgatory era. And they know this. They know that we are strapped with Darius,
0: with Hughes, with McCoy. That's thirty million dollars. What did you see today from any of them? Come on, people! I'm sorry,
5: but first and foremost, Marty. Marty with the call from WGR550.com. You're an asshat. Jerry Hughes has been the most dynamic player on the Buffalo Bills defense. I love our safeties. But he leads our defensive line in tackles, he leads the team in sacks, and he's been a consistent difference maker in every game this season. I mean, think about it. The Matt Ryan strip sack. Consistent pressure all day during the Jets game that made them change their philosophy and got them away from the rushing attack. Two sacks against Carolina. And against the Bengals, he had our—he was our best run defender. I just... I, According to PFF. Jerry Hughes is phenomenal. And that guy's an asshole for trying to insinuate that somehow Jerry Hughes is on the same level as Marcel Darius. Jerry Hughes makes half of what Darius does. And at the same time... His production is incredible because he's finally back in the right scheme, the scheme he was supposed to be in. Now, on the flip side of the ball, Nate, most impressive offensive player?
4: Well, I mean, it was Charles Clay. Uh, it's Charles Clay. I don't Like I said, I, I thought that he was the far and away offensive. I thought he was the team MVP. I thought that's how good he was playing. I think he would have um, – I, I think he was – sort of shooting himself up into the tier one tight ends in the league. And um, the injury is unfortunate, but that, that's who it's got to be for me.
5: Fantastic, because you know what? I agreed with you. Now, favorite free agent addition. Mm. Out of everybody who we brought in from the nether regions of football to come play for this team that had everyone worried about how they were going to perform, who is your favorite free agent addition? Now I know you already kind of, done t- and
4: I almost feel like you have to
5: give it to Mike right. I because you called him, right?
4: I, I think so. Uh, either that or Poyer. See, uh, I said the I, same I, thing. I said our safeties. I was just like, I oh, would, either safety. Whoever. I wouldn't. I, I could give it to Patrick Demarco too. I, I I like Demarco a lot. I think he brings a nice element. But I agree, it's got to be the safeties. It's got to be the safeties.
5: I mean, these guys are causing multiple turnovers over the course of the season. They lead the team in fumble recoveries, interceptions. They're, they're making tackles at the line of scrimmage. They're getting sacks. They're breaking up passes in the end zone. The two of them are incredible, and I can't differentiate them. I'll say the safeties. Now, I just want to get your final thoughts on the coaching staff so far. How do you think that McDermott – I mean, because I mean, we can compartmentalize this. You know, we I bitched a lot earlier about the offensive coordinator. But if I'm talking about just Sean McDermott as a head coach – how do you think he's done so far in managing both his defensive coordinator, his offensive coordinator, and Ian? just the players themselves?
1: I uh, I I don't like him because he offers nothing in a press conference to add to this <laughs> podcast. That's why I don't like him.
4: That's fair. He's definitely no GMTM. He's no uh, you know he, he's no Rex Ryan. But uh, here's what I'll say: uh, so far, uh, McDermott's impressed me because he his choices in not only roster moves but in um you know game day moves he does them with conviction he does them because he feels there is a reason to do it and um i think that this coaching staff has gotten more out of less than any team currently in the nfl and i still right now pound for pound think that the bills may have the weakest roster in the league i i I think that they really might from top to bottom have the weakest roster in the league i mean maybe you could you could say san francisco's close indianapolis without andrew luck's probably close but um what they've been able to pull from this team is literally they've gotten the most out of this roster and i think that that is good news because if they can get the most out of the roster I'm going to like what they can get the most out of two more first round picks next year. Some cap flexibility to maybe add some more pieces like a Micah Hyde on the offense. They need a Micah Hyde on the offense. They need a wide receiver. They need, you know, and and it'll be interesting to see what they do with Shady McCoy moving forward. But in terms of right now, I think that they've done more with less than, you know, than I think any coaching staff in the league has done.
1: And don't forget two seconds, two thirds. Right, (laughs) exactly.
4: Now,
5: I guess, I mean, you hit the nail on the head there. I couldn't have said it better myself. So I guess the final question here before I let you go. Who are the 2017 Buffalo Bills moving forward? What is your expectation for the team, and what do you think you've learned about their identity so far? You talked about they're well-coached. What do you know about them, and what is your take on them moving
4: forward? It's very difficult because their schedule has really opened up for them to be I think a 10-win football team. Um, I, I think it's primed for the picking right now. Um, I think they need to get healthy. I think they can't afford any other major key injuries. I, if a Jerry Hughes or Preston Brown um, or a Trey White or one of those safeties goes down, they're in a the world of hurt. World to hurt. So um, staying healthy, moving forward, and they can get healthy and they get clay back, let's say week 10 or week 11. Um, I'd say this could be a 10-1 team. Uh, If they continue to sustain injuries, um, Tyrod continues to struggle, the offense continues to struggle, they don't get Cordy Glenn back, they don't get uh, Charles Clay back. I could see them winning five games. I could see them losing a lot of these games. Uh, But I think no matter what, I think what we're going to learn about this team or what we've learned about this team is every single game is going to be a one possession game, a a, a close game. And as long as you're one of those teams the cowboys proved it last year the lions proved it last year that if you can be in one possession games and they should, so far in the first two games that they played against denver and against atlanta they proved that if you can get lucky that you can win those one possession games so if they can stay in those one possession models i think that they can they can get close to 10 games
5: now here's you kind of stole my thunder Nate what I'm, I'm going to tell you is no, 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 no I love it because I'm glad that my just me, the layman who drinks and crunches numbers in the afternoon that's how I make my paycheck <laughs> I'm not writing about sports I don't broadcast in a radio station I don't study the bills as closely as you do my feeling on this team if you had a word to describe them in my mind it would be ugly hmm. whether, we win, whether we win whether we win Or whether we lose, the game is going to be ugly. It's going to be hard to watch. It's going to be close scoring. You're going to have a defense that's going to force this offense to fist fight them for everything that they get. And then on the flip side of the coin, you're going to have an offense on the Buffalo Bills that is going to have to scrap for every single yard. You know, There's nothing being given to us. We only have one dynamic playmaker on the offense. I think that... To your point of one possession games, this is what you're going to see for the next 11 weeks is a lot of games that are just, you know, it's it's dink and dunk. It's take what you can get and your defense is going to go out there and punch them in the mouth and try to win the field possession game, field position game. And if you can do that and if you can maintain that for long enough, you might get lucky. You're going to get a turnover. Our defense is opportunistic. We've proven that we can take the ball away. I think that again, ugly. We're gonna win or lose, no matter what it is. None of them are gonna be going away. We're not blowing the doors off anyone. Every game is gonna be a fist fight, but I trust the Bills are tough enough that they can hang out until the until late into the fourth quarter in every single one of these games. It's gonna be really interesting to see how it all plays out, but I'm excited. You know, this is the this is one of the first times in the last two, three, four years as a Bills fan that I can say I'm excited, moving into the latter part of the season because this is usually where we fall apart, and I'm really interested to see what our coaching staff does from here on out to motivate these guys, to keep them focused, to keep the you know you just just keep the vibe going because so far through through five weeks we've done pretty well for ourselves. Now, Nate. Where can the people find you on Twitter? Where can they find
4: your other works?
5: Uh, Why why don't you go go ahead and give yourself a couple plugs.
4: All right. So Bill's pregame, Bill's halftime, Bill's postgame. You can check me out there. (laughs) You're everywhere. Uh, He's everywhere, folks. He's like Waldo. uh, Exactly. Uh, So I'm all Bill's game day. I'm there all day. Sports Talks Saturday. Um, you can check me out at WGR. Also at Locked Bills, which is at Locked on Bills on Twitter, lockdownbills.com which uh, is run by the crew over at Cover One Sports Cover CoverOne.net. So if you head over to Cover One, um, you can check out my film breakdown, which will be written tomorrow after I watch film, and then it should be uh, scheduled to shoot out on Thursday morning. So if you want to take a look at some plays uh, broken down from my perspective, uh, those will be coming out Thursday, and uh, you can follow me directly on Twitter at Nate GearyWGR WGR if you so choose. Uh, just be ready for uh, some blazing hot brown steaks.
5: some <laughs> blazing hot brown steaks. Jesus Christ, <laughs> Nate, I love you, uh, brother. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. I really appreciate you being on the
4: pod. No problem, brother. Thanks for having me, guys.
5: Guys, Nate Geary's a fucking gem. <laughs> I love having that kid on the show. He's the best. He knows his stuff. He's well spoken. He's he's got a questionable haircut, but I'll give him I'll, I'll give him some.
1: He's got exceptional hair. Not as exceptional as mine. Ah, ah. I have the best hair in Buffalo. Chris guaranteed. Chris loves his hair. So speaking of me and Chris, we've
5: got some business that we gotta finish before we end the podcast. Saturday night. Seagram's bets, my
1: friend. No, not Saturday.
4: First Later.
5: Fo- first and foremost. Chris and I have some Seagrams bets that we got to get out of the way. I mean, this is a bye week. We have nothing to watch, right?
1: No, we have football to watch. Oh,
5: no, plenty, there's plenty of, of football. Plenty to watch. of
1: football to watch. And with that said,
5: Chris and I are about to pick the weekend,
1: and the loser owes the Seagrams. Let me pull out the. Uh,
5: I told you to the, have it ready. The, oh, oh, did did I got. I got one about on your mother.
1: Yeah, you. I'm. <laughs> um, we will have a Seagrams bet. We will pick the games. First and Thursday, Sunday, and Monday night, and then we'll do a tiebreaker total points for the Monday night game. Yes.
5: No no spreads. I'm going to go. Thursday, Eagles-Panthers. Give me your
1: shot. Ooh, uh, These Eagles at Carolina. Cam Newton's due for a shit day. I'm going Philly. I'm taking Carolina right out of the gate. Bears-Ravens. Bears and Ravens, I'm going Baltimore.
5: I'm going Baltimore, too. 49ers, Redskins. Redskins. Yeah, we got to go to Redskins. Dolphins, Falcons.
1: Atlanta. <laughs>
5: you have to pick Atlanta or else you return Patriots, Jets. Patriots. I'm taking the Jets. Just, just on a whim, just because if I'm right, then I'll get one over on you.
1: No, oh, well, hold on. Rams, so, Jaguars, wait, Rams, hold, wait, wait, Jaguars. wait, 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 hold on. You're saying Jets after one, two, three, four, five, six, seven beers. You're picking the Jets. I'm <laughs> oh. picking
5: the Jets over the Patriots.
1: Here we go. Rams, Jaguars. Uh, Los Angeles.
5: Ray, Jaguars, obviously. St. Doug. St. Doug. Doug is going to coach them to a win.
1: Yeah, and wait until that game's close. And then it's fourth and two from the Rams 40, and he And he
5: punts. You're fucked. Steelers-Chiefs in probably the most interesting game of the week. Not even close. Chiefs. (laughs) Okay, I agree with you. Packers-Vikings.
1: Ooh, where is that? Oh. doesn't uh, matter. It's in in Minnesota. It's in a dome. (sighs) I think if Aaron Rodgers carries the entire team like he did on Sunday, then they're going to win, so I'm going to have to go Green Bay. I'll
5: take the Vikings defense. See, I'm I'm trying to pick contrary cuz I'm trying to get the edge up on you. You're taking all the easy ones. Lions Saints a Detroit. De- yeah, you got to take Detroit there. Browns Texans Houston. You don't see the Browns getting their first win of the week? No, neither do I. <laughs> Buccaneers Cardinals.
1: Tampa Bay across country. <laughs> they didn't have a long rest cuz they played Thursday. Yep. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go Tampa. I'm gonna go Cardinals. I'm gonna go Cardinals. All right, that's cool. You'll Chargers, be Raiders. With
5: EJ Manuel possibly under center.
1: Oh no, that's LA. If it's if it's, it's right because Ch- we gotta pick right now. Right now. We don't know if Derek, don't Carr, know is if Derek Carr is playing I'm going LA.
5: I'm gonna say the Raiders because I think Derek Carr will play, and I think that even if he doesn't, EJ Manuel can still beat the Chargers.
1: You can't beat LA on just hard counts. Giants on Broncos. Broncos. Not even close.
5: <laughs> <laughs> the the only team without a win against one of the better teams in football. I'm gonna have to go Broncos too. So that brings us to Monday night football, Colts and Titans. In what if Matt Castle starts, it'll be the worst quarterback Monday night football of the year.
1: I'm going Tennessee. And then Really? I'm taking Jacoby Brissett. Okay, well now we gotta go total points. Total for, points. For a tiebreaker. I'm gonna say case we have the same record forty six. I will go 42.
5: Oh, what is this, Wheel of Fortune? Yes.
1: To, oh, you bum. Because if it is Matt Castle and Brissette, I think it might be very low scoring.
5: <laughs> and then we have one last segment about to get out of the way, the Bills' overall record for the rest of the season. We're sitting I mean, here at A, the this week. is... Hang on, we're sitting here at the bye week. We've had a chance to take in what this team is. Now, I said at the beginning of the year that they could be 1-5 if they didn't play things. Now they're sitting here at 3 and 2 and I'm thinking to myself, okay, maybe this is possible. If they can find a way to win some of these easier matchups that are coming down the pipeline for them, they could find a way. I'm letting I'm letting the lunatic fan portion of my brain take over here for a minute. I know that.
1: Chris I told you before we started recording yep. that I don't see us finishing better than six and ten. I called this a seven and nine team
5: at the beginning of the season. I'm going to call us an eight and eight team. Ooh, right but eight and eight, six and ten. Yeah, no better. We will have no seven more. and nine is a push. We shake on it. That's a Seagram's bet, my friend. Guys, Chris is one and four for Seagram's bets this year. He's going to be drinking a lot of wine coolers. Guys, before we get out of here, I just want to say a heartfelt thank you. You guys all take time out of your week to listen to me. And I sit here and I drink beer and I talk about football. And it's it's fun for me. Obviously, it's fun for you. Thank you for making all of this possible and giving
1: me the motivation to continue doing what I do. Dude, we are so close to 500 downloads for an episode. (laughs) Our last two right now are at... 478. It's incredible
5: where we've come from where we started, and all I can say is that we owe it to all we owe it all to our fans. That's it. That's all I owe it to. So, Chris, cheers! Cheers to our listeners, guys! Before we get out of here, first and foremost, Saturday night, Wise Guys Pizzeria, the Reaper Wing Challenge. This Saturday night, live on Facebook Live at at the uh, on our Facebook page, which we're going to link in the description. You're going to be able to watch, or on our Twitter feed, live via Periscope. You're going to be able to watch me
1: eat the Carolina Reapers. <laughs>
5: we are going to do our our usual annual, you know, our weekly uh, Facebook live show and Twitter live show from Wise Guys Pizzeria, and then I'm going to
1: take on the Carolina Reaper wing challenge. Ten wings, five minutes, and then afterwards you got a five minute burn time. And during that five minute burn time, we
5: are going to sit there and just talk. Bill's trivia. Yeah, I got you. Got you. Got to know Buffalo.
1: It. I got that trivia game. I'm gonna just rifle off questions to Drew, and he's gonna get maybe one.
5: All I know is that you guys all gotta tune in. It's a great. It's a great opportunity for us just to try to get out and highlight a local business who's they're really kind of giving everything that they have to the local community, and that's Wise Guys Pizzeria. I mean, they are the official pizzeria of the Rock Pile Report. Every week we order our food from there, and it's not just because it's the best. I mean, it is. But it's also because their their owner, J.C. Felt, he's one of the coolest guys I've ever talked to. Just about the community. Just about his own involvement in it. He takes personal ownership of the fact that he lives in South Buffalo, and he feels like he has a commitment to give back to it. How can I not support that?
1: Yep, He'll be on the show. We'll have him there.
5: It's going to be fantastic. You can find it either at www.facebook.com slash therockpilereport or at Report on Twitter. And if you want to give Nate Geary a follow, it's at Nate Geary WGR, And then his Grandstand Sports Network. Now, I've started blogging there on a weekly basis. I'm going to give a weekly op-ed piece. But the one thing I want to say is for those of you who like podcasts, Lorenzo Alexander, linebacker for the Buffalo Bills, has a podcast on Grandstand Sports Network. It's called Train With The Best. It features him, his personal trainer, and ESPN Radio's Craig Hoffman. They talk to athletes around the world. They've interviewed guys like, uh, what's his name there? Quarterback for the Raiders.
1: Oh, easy. The Why is his name escaping me? Simple, because he's an elite quarterback, Derek Carr.
5: Derek Carr was on their show recently.
1: Elite quarterback. <laughs> Say it with me. Elite He's quarterback
5: elite. Derek Carr was on their show recently, just talking about how he stays in shape in the offseason, talking about football, talking about life. It's a great show. You can find it at www.grandstandsportsnetwork.com because we're always trying to bring you guys the best view in sports. Cause I gotta get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear, that's Chris Krueger, and this has been the Rock Power.